Merry Christmas. My name is Sean Sears. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Church. I, I didn't hear Ken, Ken share this or not, but this past Sunday was when the little kids were supposed to bring in uh, uh, their, their offering. And our kids, fifth grade and under, gave towards our Hope Project $2,700. Did you guys know that? Did he share that? That's pretty phenomenal, right? That's like a bunch of little kids. <laughs> It's pretty, it's, it's pretty cool, pretty cool. And so this, this whole month, we've been doing uh, a, a, a Christmas at the movies. And each week, we've been featuring a different popular Christmas movie and then taking the theme and matching that with a similar theme uh, in the Bible. And then instead of using a personal illustration from our own lives or from one of your lives or something that's happening uh, around us in, in the world, we, we were using different scenes from that, that movie. And tonight, we get to do my second favorite movie of all, my second favorite Christmas movie of all time. Now, my first favorite Christmas movie is A Christmas Story. Uh, how many of you guys have seen that? One of the Ralphie and the Little Red Rider BB gun, and you'll shoot your, your eye out. That's my favorite. I think I saw that when I was in high school or college for the very first time when it first came out. And uh, when he comes down the stairs in that pink bunny costume, I, I laughed so hard, I, I almost wet myself. I remember that. And that's still one of my favorite scenes. This past week, we got to go down to the Cape and do a little Christmas with my mom and dad who live down there now. And uh, they buy our kids Nerf guns every year. That's part of their Santa gift. And uh, my son, who's 25 now, got his, and it was a little bit ripped. And Garrett said, ooh, fragile, which is a line from that movie also. Uh, but my second favorite movie is It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, raise your hand if you've seen It's a Wonderful Life. It's a, uh, how many guys would say it's in your top three, maybe? Anybody put it in your top three? Okay, a lot of us who are here, I don't know about you guys that are online. By the way, thank you guys for joining us also uh, this Christmas Eve. There's a lot of churches you could have found online, but the fact that you're with this one is a big deal to us. It's an honor, so thanks for coming. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful life. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a black and white. It's, it's, a, it's an old movie, and there, it's about a guy named George Bailey. George Bailey, when he was in high school, had all of these dreams of all of these things he was going to do in his lifetime that he never ends up getting to do. He goes to college, but then he has to come back soon, uh, early. I don't think he got to finish, if, if I remember the details right, his dad dies and he has to take over the building and loan and then his uh, he just never gets to travel the world he never gets to do all the stuff that he dreamed of doing and so it was like one disappointment after another disappointment after another disappointment and then finally his uncle who helped run the business with his father now runs the business with him loses eight thousand dollars the, big, the bad guy in the movie finds the $8,000 and is going to call the cops and the feds are involved and he's going to go to prison for life and he's really despondent. And he's, he's, now, $8,000 is a lot of money, uh, by, even by today's standards. But back when this movie was made, uh, $8,000 was like a crazy amount of money. So the fact that this had all gone missing, you know, it, it just ruined George's life. And he's all upset and he's despondent and he's angry and he leaves the house and he's going to go, he's going to go into it all by jumping off of a bridge, which is how you want every Christmas movie to start off, right? I mean, last week we did Santa Claus, and in the first three minutes they killed Santa, and this one we're starting off with a guy who jumps off of a bridge. I don't know what the deal is with those two Christmas movies, but, but that's what happens. So when he leaves the house, his wife Mary and his kids, especially little Zuzu, that's his youngest daughter, uh, they all pray for God, bless daddy, God, dear God, bless daddy. It's, I think that's an exact impersonation of baby Zuzu uh, in that I, I just crushed, I nailed it right there. Uh, but anyway, everybody's praying. Uh, George goes to this bridge to jump off and just end it all. The world would be better if I was dead. And like that's, that's the way he feels about everything. And, and God answers his family's prayer. And in answer to the prayer, God sends an angel named Clarence 
to rescue George. And so Clarence gets to the bridge right before George jumps off into the icy waters. Clarence, at the last minute, he jumps in the water. And now that, you know, surprises George because that's what he was going to do. But now there's somebody else jumping in the water. So he has to jump in and save him. And so George jumps in. So instead of ending his own life, he rescues Clarence, the angel. And then he doesn't really believe he's an angel. Clarence is telling him he's an angel. But he's like, this is crazy. You're not really an angel. They're freezing. They didn't bring any towels or change of dry clothes. So they're in like the little guard shack for the bridge and they're, and they're drying off and they're waiting to get warm and that's where we pick it up in this scene. Uh, I don't know whether I like it very much being seen around with an angel without any wings. Oh, I've got to earn them. And you'll help me, won't you? Sure, sure. How? By letting me help you. Only one way you can help me. You don't happen to have 8,000 bucks on you, do you? Oh, no, no. We don't use money in heaven. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> right. I keep forgetting it. Comes in pretty handy down here, bub. Oh, tut, tut, tut. Uh, I found it out a little late. I'm worth more dead than alive. Now, look, you mustn't talk like that. I won't get my wings with that attitude. You just don't know all that you've done. If it hadn't been for you... Yeah, if it hadn't been for me, everybody would be a lot better off. My wife and my kids and my friends. And my... Look, little fellow, why you go off and haunt somebody else, will no, you? No, now you don't understand. I've got my job. Oh, shut up, will you? Oh, this isn't going to be so easy. Yeah, so you still think killing yourself would make everyone feel happier, eh? Oh, I don't know. I guess you're right. I suppose it'd been better if I'd never been born at all. What'd you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. And then that's the plot for the rest of the movie. Uh, Clarence gets to show George what the world would be like if he had never been born. And it starts off small, small, and then each scene in the movie has a dramatic impact because George's, what George, George's life never, never existed. And George thinks he's a part of a dream and doesn't really believe any of this is happening. And each scene gets a little bit more dramatic all the way up until the scene we're about to watch now. And this is when it finally dawns on George that this is actually happening and this is the world as, as if he had never been born. This is the world without him, and that's the scene that we're at right now. Are you sure this is Bailey Park? No, I'm not sure of anything anymore. All I know is this should be Bailey Park. But where are the houses? You we weren't here to build them. Your brother, Harry Bailey, broke through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. That's a lie. Harry Bailey went to war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. You see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? And that's when George stands up and he walks over to Clarence. He's like, what? He goes, where's Mary? Show me Mary. And he's like, oh, no, that's too horrible. It's too much to bear. I can't show you Mary. Because apparently the worst thing that can happen to anybody is they become a librarian. I think is what that's about. Like Mary didn't marry. She became a librarian. And apparently that was too hard for him to deal with. It's a, it's a great scene. And we really love the movie. And what that did was that made us ask the question, uh, what if Jesus had never been born? 
I mean, because that's what Christmas is about. That's what we celebrate uh, every year at Christmas. We celebrate uh, Mary, who was engaged to Joseph, and in their culture, once you were engaged, you were now the responsibility of your fiancé. And so, since Joseph, her husband, or fiancé, has to, has to register in Bethlehem with the Romans for tax purposes, she goes with them, and she's great with child, and, and you know, she's about to have the baby, and there's no room for them in the end, famously, and then they go to a stable, and then Jesus is born in a, in a manger, and then the angels show up, to the shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night, right? And then they sing, uh, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. And then the shepherds come to the stable and they see the, the baby uh, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And a few days later, the wise men show up. And a few days later, Jesus is dedicated uh, at the temple. And, and that's, the, that's, that's essentially the Christmas story as given to us by both Matthew and, and Luke and their narratives of the, life, of the life of Jesus. So that's what we celebrate at Christmas. But what if Jesus had never been born? I mean, I, I think it's a little bit more dramatic, actually, than there being no, no Christmas presents tomorrow morning, uh, and it's not as awesome as there being no Hallmark movies, although that would be a blessing, wouldn't it? At about now, I, think they, I, I saw a meme this past week said, oh, what has 27 actors, uh, three settings, uh, two writers, and one plot? Every Hallmark movie ever, ever made. That's what the entire collection. Um, anyway, uh, um, it's a little bit more dramatic than that. And, and while the Christmas story that we're most familiar with is in Luke chapter 2, that's the one that's read in the Charlie Brown Christmas story. How many of you guys are familiar with the Charlie Brown Christmas movie? Where he quotes from Luke chapter 2. We're going to be answering the question, what would have happened if Jesus had never been born, out of Hebrews chapter 2. It's, it's not a typical uh, Christmas chapter of the Bible, but it does reference uh, the day of Christmas that we celebrate for, with, with Christmas every year. So if you've got your Bible, go to Hebrews chapter 2. If you've got your smartphone, you may have already downloaded uh, the Bible app, and you'll find it before everybody else does in their hard copy uh, Bible. But we're in Hebrews chapter 2, and I'm going to start reading in verse 9. We're going to eventually get to, to verse 18, and that's going to be the place that we stay for most of the teaching uh, this evening. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. It says, what, do we, what we do see is Jesus, who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels. So that's that's something that he's referencing that you may or may not be familiar to, that Jesus existed before, uh, before the manger, before, before Christmas. Uh, it was a temporary period of time where he was given a position below the angels. So if this is where the angels are, this is where people are, and this is where God is. Now, the first four books in the Christian New Testament is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In John, John's uh, narration of the life of Jesus opens up with this. In John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, which sounds crazy. Like I, that's, that's, that's some, like, I can be with my wife, but I can't be with my wife and be my wife. Now, Christians have invented a word to describe this idea, and the, the word that we invented was Trinity. And it's, the, it's the idea that there is one God who somehow dwells together in unity with himself. This is one of the reasons why I don't believe the biblical story is, is made up, because they wouldn't have put in something like this that they themselves could not explain. The only def explanation for it is that it's, 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 it's true. But this is also consistent with the Jewish Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, I believe it's verse 26, it says, Then God said singular, God said, let us make man in our image. It's in the Jewish Bible. Your friends who are Jewish who don't have the Christian New Testament, you can look at it there and there's also, it's in the first chapter of the Torah. And Jewish theologians still argue over why uh, Moses chose to describe the one singular God using the plural word us. 
And what John unpacks for us is that there is one God who has a spirit and who has his word. And then verse 14 of John chapter 1 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Not like the game among us. Some of you guys are like, oh, he just said the game. right? And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glories of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth, it says. So there's God who has a spirit and who has a word. And the word who was God, who was with God, became flesh and dwelt among us. When did the word become flesh and dwelt among us? And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, the only begotten Son of the Father. That was on Christmas. When the word became flesh to dwell among mankind, that was in the manger. That was in Bethlehem. That was on Christmas Day. And on that day, the word who is with God and who is God became, for a temporary season, a little lower than the angels, where we are. That's what it's referencing in Hebrews chapter 2. Was given a position a little lower than the angels, and because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. We know that he died on the cross, he was buried, and on the third day, he rose from the dead. And that's when we celebrate what holiday? Easter. That's when we celebrate Easter. So Christmas and Easter are both, are both mentioned in Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to go to verse 10, and here's what it says. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory, and it was only right that he should make Jesus, because it was through his suffering, a perfect leader fit to bring them into their salvation. And that's where we get the first thing that we wouldn't have if Jesus had never been born. If Jesus had never been born, we could not never be saved. We could never be rescued. I think the next logical question is, saved from what? Rescued from what? And the answer to this is sin. And sin is not a word that we throw around very much. It's definitely not a word I use to describe myself very often. When I think of what a sinner is, I think of somebody who, I don't know, hurts kids or sells drugs. Some of you guys might sell drugs, and you're like, what are you saying? Dude, I'm just glad you're here, right? This is the right place for you. Right, but you would say that that's probably not, you know, that's not how your life, you know, when you were like eight, you weren't hoping, whatever. Sir. My point is, even you've got somebody who you say, well, I'm not a sinner, that person's a sinner. It's just not a word that we use to describe ourselves very much. But the basic definition of the word sin is breaking God's commandments. And you don't even have to be super religious to be familiar with the Ten Commandments. But we've all broken those. And every time we've broken a commandment, We've sinned, and it didn't take long for us to begin breaking commandments. The first commandment is, don't make anything more important to you than God. And every single one of us have done this, and you've probably done it a lot. I know I have, at least. Like, I've made my wife more important to me than God. I've made my kids a higher priority to me than God. I've, I've made Thursday night basketball more important to me than God. I mean, if I'm going to be completely transparent, I've made money more important than God. I've made my job more important than God. There's even been periods in my life where I made fantasy football more important to me than God. So I've broken the first commandment a million times. The second commandment is, don't pray to anybody but God. And some of us were raised in churches that actually taught us to pray to people that aren't God. Not even knowing that we were breaking the second commandment, we broke it. The third commandment is don't take my name in vain, and I've been around you guys long enough to know that some of us got some potty mouths. We got some potty mouths. So I know we've broken that third one. Then the fourth one says don't ever skip a day every single week to set aside and worship me. We've all broken that one. Then the fifth one is don't ever disrespect your parents and 
Everybody in this room, how many of you guys are sitting next to somebody right now who's broken that commandment against you, moms and dads? Anybody at all? Like, and I'm just saying, don't steal, don't take nothing that's not, don't wish that somebody else's stuff was your stuff. We get to the one that says, don't kill anybody, and we think we're, whew. actually, if you killed somebody, this is still the right place for you, temporarily until we can call the authorities. But then Jesus says, then Jesus said, if you've ever hated somebody, you're guilty of murdering your heart. So I've broken that one. And then while I've not committed adultery, Jesus said, if you've ever lusted over somebody, you're guilty of breaking that commandment too. And you're like, there's not a single commandment I've ever broken. So the truth is, I've got sin. But the reason why I don't think of myself as a person that needs to be saved is because I can think of a whole lot of people who are worse off than me. Can you? Yes, sir. How many of you are sitting next to somebody who's worse? Um, don't answer that question either. But the thing is, is I look at my life and I go, listen, I've only done, like, I've done some bad things, but there's a whole lot more good than bad. I mean, I could, at least I'm not like my sister. She's done a lot more than me, right? Like she's, like, I've done some bad things, I know, but I'm basically a good person because I haven't done as much as she has. And then my sister would say, well, at least I haven't done as much as the oldest brother, he's really horrible, and he would go, yeah, I'm going to hell. I'm going to hell. I, I already know it. I, I, don't, I don't know. But see, we grade ourselves on a comparison of all other people. And somehow religion has gotten the idea that the solution to the dirt that you've done is to not ever do any more dirt. So if you can live the rest of your life being a good person, then that somehow erases the dirt you've already done. But that doesn't make sense. All it does is just not add more dirt to the dirt I've already done. But everything I've already done, I can't change, and it's already become a part of who I am. Now, when I was a little kid, I couldn't wear muddy socks into the kitchen. I had to take them off. So the Bible, and the Bible's the same way, and this is the reason why we need to be rescued from it, is that the book of Isaiah says that it is our sins that have separated us from our God. Sin is the problem that you and I have that we don't like to think about very often, that even when we're presented about it, we feel okay because we can think of a whole lot more people who've done a whole lot more. But the truth is, it's this dirt that keeps us separated from God because we ain't allowed in the kitchen with dirty socks. This is what God says is clean. And the truth is, no amount of me not ever doing any more dirt will ever get me to look like this. So what am I to do? Do you see what I'm saying? This is the problem. This is why my sins separate me from God. Because if I were to take this sock and rub it up against this sock, does this sock make this sock clean? No. This sock makes this sock what? Dirty. So the fact that God is without sin and is holy, his very nature and character demands to be separated from that which violates it. It doesn't mean he stopped loving you. It doesn't mean he stopped loving me. Whether you've got this much dirt, this much dirt, or this much dirt, you're a sock created in his image. The only problem is the amount of dirt you and I have done. But no amount of good you're ever going to do is going to undo the dirt you did. Was that too many dirts, duns, and deads? Are you with me? So here's what Jesus does about it in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says this. Uh, because God's children are human uh, beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. So when God temporarily gets a position a little bit lower than the angels, he puts on the human sock. He lives the next 33 years without ever breaking a single commandment. 
and he gets to the end of those 30 years, and he lays down his life so that anybody who ever needs to get rid of their dirty sock has a clean one to put on. That's what Jesus did. He gave his life, his innocent life, as a sacrifice for all the dirty socks. And so in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus said, if anybody wants to come after me, they must deny themselves, lay down their dirty sock, and actually follow me. That's what it takes. And without Jesus, you and I would be stuck in our dirty socks. Does that make sense? That's what we have because of Jesus. And that brings me to the second thing. It's not the only thing Jesus did for me. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15 says this. Only in this way, only by giving his clean sock for our dirty sock. By the way, there's another verse in 1 John chapter 1 says that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So the truth is, when Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, his blood becomes the thing that makes dirty socks clean. Truthfully, he makes dirty socks clean and coated with Teflon. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, sin don't stick to those socks any longer right? But it says, he did all of that, swapping the socks out for us. Verse 15, only in this way could he set free all who had lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So that brings me to the second thing. If Jesus had never been born, we could never be free from our fear of death. Never be free from our fear of death. That's why the Bible says that we who are Christians, we don't mourn as those who have no hope. Because we do have hope, because Jesus did raise from the dead. We know that death isn't the final straw. It doesn't get the last word. That's why Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. We know that I, who I am as a person, I have a beginning, I have no end. I was creating the image of God. I am both spiritual and physical. And while this physical sock may one day wear out, it will one day die, I continue to go on. And if I live in relationship with God and die, I enter eternity the same way in a relationship with God. But if I live the rest of this life disconnected from God and I die, I enter eternity disconnected from God. So because I have put on Christ, I have exchanged my dirty sock for his sock. He went all in for me. I went all in for him. I know that for me, death doesn't get the last word, which means that while I don't want to die anytime soon, it doesn't freak us out. We still cry at funerals because we're going to miss our family members or our loved ones. But for us, we know it's not a goodbye. It's a see you later for now. That's what it is. We will see them again. But it's not just the fear of death we're rescued from. It's fear in general. Because 2 Timothy says that God has not given us, excuse me, 1 Timothy, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Like, we go through traumatic events differently, and that's a gift that we get because of Christmas. So because of Christmas, I'm given the gift of clean socks, right? And because, and you guys know I'm not talking about socks. We know that, right? like actual socks. And because of Christmas, I'm, I'm given rescue from fear, which allows me to go through a broken and cruel and twisted world in a different way. So is that true, though? And what's really cool is a couple of weeks ago, Gallup came out with a poll. So every year they ask these people the same groups of questions. I think it's different people even, but they go, they go through the same questions. And at the end of 2019, they, people were asked of different types and different political persuasions and different, different ethnic and, and racial makeups were asked how they were doing. And then they, they asked them again at the beginning of November to see how, if they were doing any better or any worse. And I want to share with you uh, the poll that they found. And here's what they saw. 
Whether you're a male or female, Republican, Independent, Democrat, it didn't matter, white, non-white, married or not married, everybody ended 2020 worse off than they began 2020 with the exception of one demographic. Those Christians who've got Jesus' sock. Those who stayed engaged with the household of faith throughout the entire year. Now, I've got a buddy of mine named Aaron Graham. Aaron Graham is the pastor of District Church in Washington, D.C. He's a really cool guy, super smart, got a lot of smart people in his church. He was on uh, oh, President Obama's uh, uh, spiritual council, uh, was invited to the White House several times, and then under this past administration, Mike Pence was a member of his church, which is crazy that, you know, some crazy uh, uh, conversations in the lobby of their church, you know. But, but the thing for them is they didn't care about the politics, they just want to help people connect, connect to Jesus. He called Gallup. Uh, last week and then asked them uh, if there was a difference in the response between those who had uh, stayed connected with their church on a weekly basis virtually or in person. It took him a couple of days to get back to him and said, we didn't actually make the distinction in the question. We let them answer based on how they were engaging with their church. So those who had been engaging on a weekly basis virtually answered affirmatively and then those who answered, who had attended in person. So they didn't, they didn't make the distinction. So that's whether they were in person or virtually, it was those who had stayed, who had stayed connected to the faith. And the reason why that's true is because those of us who faithfully follow Jesus on a regular basis, we know that God is sovereign. And while we didn't see 2020 coming, God did. And because God saw it coming, he already wrote it into the story of humanity. And the story of humanity ends with God's glory and our good, which means that I can go through scary things without being scared. Because I know God's got his hand in this. And whatever happens to me, God will use for his glory and my good. Romans chapter 8 is still true, that God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And those of us who have that hope because of Christmas aren't affected by bad things the way everybody else is who doesn't have that hope. But there's still one more thing that Hebrews says we have because Jesus was born on Christmas. If Jesus had never been born, we would have no access to God. This is Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. Here's what it says. Therefore, it was necessary for him, Jesus, to be made in every respect like us. For God, the word, to become flesh and put on humanity. Why? So that, uh, like his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. A high priest is somebody who comes from the congregation of the people who represents them before God. They go to God on behalf of the group of people. If Jesus had never become flesh, if Jesus had never been born in the manger, if Jesus had never shown up and if the word had never become flesh and dwelt among us, then he would have never earned the right to represent us before God. What this means is that without Jesus, we would be stuck in our sin, struggling to find peace with no path back to our creator, to God the only one who can help us in the life that we're actually living right now. Maybe this is the first time you've ever connected the dots between that first Christmas and where your life is right now and what you need most right now. Maybe you would recognize that you have done dirt and the amount of dirt you've done doesn't matter. And you also know that no matter how good you are from this day until your last, it doesn't undo the dirt you've already done. And the idea that Jesus had lived his life without ever having done any dirt and laid down his life for you actually helps make sense of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And rather than living with the fear, shame, and guilt that comes from the religious pressure 
to be a better sock than everybody else, you'd recognize, I can't be the sock I need to be. I need God. So maybe your prayer this Christmas, I think this would be the awesome, the most awesome gift, is for you to actually ask Jesus for his sock. <laughs> That's a really weird thing to say, right? But your prayer would be, Jesus, I would never ask you to lay down your life for me. But since you did, I'd be crazy to ignore it. And if you gave your all for me, I'm going all in for you. Take away my dirt, clean my sock, clean my slate, free my heart. I want that. Help me to follow you with the rest of my life. I'm all in. Maybe that would be your prayer. Or maybe you're already, you've already become Jesus' sock. But if we're going to be completely honest, this past year, you've become the sock that got lost behind the dryer. You just kind of got disconnected over the year, right? And truthfully, it's really scary back there behind the dryer. And you don't experience the peace that defies all explanation, as the scripture says. And so maybe your prayer is, God, I'm tired of being lost. I'm ready to get back on track again. I'm sorry for drifting this past year. I need you really bad. So maybe that would be your prayer. Or maybe, since you now realize you have unlimited, constant, all-time access to God, maybe in 2021, your prayer would be, God, I want to give you a little bit more access to me. Maybe what you could do is you could download the Bible app, and when you do and open it up for the first time, the middle icon on the bottom says plans. You can click on plans, and it opens up Bible reading plans, and you can search for the one-year Bible plan. I'm going to be doing the one-year chronological Bible plan, and what it does, it'll send you a text every day to remind you to read one 365ths of the Bible. It's just a few chapters, and it takes seven minutes. I know that it, it takes seven minutes because I don't actually read it. When I click on that and it opens up, you'll see another little button down in the bottom left-hand corner that looks like a speaker. If you click on that speaker, there's a British dude with like a cool, sexy British accent who will actually read the Bible to you. And because I have Bluetooth... I just put my cell phone in the cradle on my dashboard and I hit play. It connects to my Bluetooth. And by the time I drive from my house in Stoughton Center to Grace Church here in Avon, I've already read my seven minutes of Scripture. And in one year, you and I will both have gone all the way through the Bible. And some of us have never done that. And you've been a Christian for years. So maybe that's your next step. I don't know which one of these is the most appropriate next step for you, but I hope you know that. I hope you're self-aware enough to recognize where you're at in those three things that came because of Christmas. And I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me and we'll pray. Maybe you recognize that your sock has dirt. You've done dirt. You've broken the commandments. And the secret to getting rid of the dirt isn't not adding more dirt to it. That doesn't undo the dirt you've already did. So the fact that Jesus laid down his perfectly clean life for your dirty life and for my dirty life makes sense. So your prayer is, Jesus, I would never ask you to do that, but since you did, I'd be crazy to ignore it. So I accept that your sacrifice of your life was in the place of me for my dirty life, and I'm sorry for my sin. Forgive me for all the dirt I've ever done. Forgive me, take away the fear, the guilt, the shame. I'm done with that. I'm all in. You were all in for me. I'm all in for you. Help me to follow you with the rest of my life. Jesus, save me and rescue me. Can you make that your prayer? Make that your prayer.
Maybe that's a prayer you've already made, you've already gone all in, but the whole idea of you being the lost sock behind the dryer makes complete sense. That describes exactly how you feel in your relationship with God right now, and you're tired of being off track. So your prayer is, God, I'm tired, I'm tired of wandering off, and I'm sorry for drifting. I'm back in the game. Fix me up, clean me up, keep me connected. God, I'm sorry for drifting. Put me back on track. Give me the kind of peace that defies explanation because, dear God, I need it. Let that be your prayer. Or maybe you are emotionally healthy, but honestly, you've not been given God the kind of access to you that he's given you to him. And so your commitment would be spend more time on a regular daily basis with God this year. God, I pray that you are pleased by the attitude, the focus, direction of our hearts, by the prayers that we're making. For those, God, who today have gone all in as devoted followers of Jesus, I am unbelievably thankful that you cleaned their sock, that you took away their sin, that you wiped off every stain. Thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood on the cross, which cleanses us from all sin, as the scripture says. Thank you, God, for giving us the peace that defies all explanation, taking away the fear. We have nothing to fear. Because you are sovereign and you are good and you love us and you are for us. God, help us to trust you more on a regular daily basis. And God, help us to give more of ourselves to you this next year in recognition of how much of yourself you've given to us. That's our prayer. We ask this in the great name of Jesus and we all say together, amen.